As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter 1. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy-to-read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. C.S. Lewis Podcast with Alistair McGrath. You are listening to the C.S. Lewis Podcast with Professor Alistair McGrath, brought to you by Premier. I'm Ruth Jackson, and over this second series, Alistair and I will be looking at some of the key themes and ideas in Lewis's seminal book, Mere Christianity. C.S. Lewis is one of the most influential voices in modern Christianity. The 20th century British writer and lay theologian has profoundly impacted Christians around the world and brought many atheists and agnostics to faith in Jesus. One person whose faith was greatly encouraged by the writings of C.S. Lewis is Professor Alistair McGrath. Both men were raised in Northern Ireland, studied at Oxford University and went on to become professors there. They also both came to faith from atheism slightly later in life. Alistair has written numerous books on C.S. Lewis, including a seminal biography, C.S. Lewis, A Life, which is published by Hodder. You can find out more about this series, as well as C.S. Lewis and Professor Alistair McGrath, by heading to cslewispodcast.com. If you enjoy this podcast, please don't forget to like, rate and subscribe on whatever podcast platform you use. On today's episode, we will be looking at how mere Christianity came to be written. Welcome to the second series of this C.S. Lewis podcast with Alistair McGrath. And in this series, we're going to be focusing particularly on one of C.S. Lewis's seminal works, Mere Christianity, which I'm holding up to the camera here. This is such a popular book. So before we delve into some of the specific themes, um, we're going to just look a little bit about the background behind the book. So Alistair, before we start looking at the specifics, would you just say a little bit about what mere Christianity means to you personally? It means a lot to me because it's one of the most articulate um, accounts of the Christian faith, uh, written in a very accessible way that, that I can think of. And obviously, I'm not alone in thinking this. It's very, very highly regarded. It continues to sell very well long after Lewis's death. And I think it, one of the things that really strikes me is that here is someone who has discovered Christianity. Remember, he began as an atheist and is trying to set out, uh, I think, two things. One is what he finds so exciting about it, but the other thing, of course, is what it actually is. And so he's uh, inviting people to do two things. One is to, if, if they're not Christians, is to look inside. The other is, if they are Christians, is to look deeper. So it's a very important book, I think. Now, 
it's one of C.S. Lewis's most famous books, but it didn't start out as a book, did it? Would you say just a little bit about the background behind the book and how it came to be? Well, the background behind the book is that Lewis was asked um, in the 1940s during the Second World War to give some broadcast talks for the British Broadcasting Corporation. And um, one of their editors had read Lewis's book, The Problem of Pain, and thought it was unusually articulate and thought he might be the kind of person who could... Um, so to speak, cheer the British people up um, during the Second World War. And Lewis actually had um, an enormous advantage in that he was not specifically linked, really, with any particular denomination. So it, it wouldn't give any privilege to any particular religious grouping. They just said he was a Christian layman who doesn't represent anybody except himself, but he's intelligent. He can talk about his faith. And that was really, I think, why they chose him. Now, obviously, they took a risk because they, they asked Lewis without ever having heard him speak. And if you cannot speak and you're doing a radio broadcast, then there is a problem. Um, however, um, they gave Lewis a microphone test and uh, that turned out to be splendidly successful because, as everyone knew, Lewis could fill a lecture theatre at Oxford because he spoke so well. So really, what happened was the BBC in August 1941 got Lewis to give a short series of talks and they went well, so he gave four more. And then he gave three further series of talks. And the key point you need to appreciate is that mere Christianity has four sections and each of those sections is one of those sets of broadcast talks and Lewis revised them although actually he revised them quite lightly to make them into a book about uh, 10 years after he actually gave the talks. Um, now you mentioned there that Lewis was a layman he was not a clergyman he was not a theologian he was not a biblical scholar and um, why was he chosen was that one of the reasons because he wasn't a specialist? He came across um, as an ordinary Christian layperson. And that was exactly what the BBC wanted. They did not want, some, want someone to speak on behalf of an institution. They want someone to speak on behalf of a faith. And so Lewis really, I think, proved ideal. And in fact, one of the problems that began to emerge with the first series of recordings was that Lewis tended to present Christianity as simply a personal way of thinking and didn't, for example, reference the idea of church or worship or anything like that. So Lewis began to bring that in in later, um, later versions of his talks. But I think the reason was simply here was a, a, an intelligent and articulate um, exponent of the Christian faith who in effect, could anticipate some of the questions that his audience would be asking. I think that's one of the reasons why um, this was so successful, because, as I'm sure you will know, Lewis regularly, in effect, thing, says, well, look, you may object here, or you may feel this. And, of course, he's talking about difficulties he had himself uh, in his earlier period. And so who were the intended audience of mere Christianity? Who were the intended audience? Um, it's very hard to, to know if there was actually an intended audience. I think it was basically whoever turned up. And <laughs> um, when the BBC asked Lewis to um, give these talks, they said, look, you'll have about a million listeners. But they didn't really tell him who the listeners would be. And so Lewis had to guess. So I think really we have to assume that um, Lewis was writing for a, a generic, vague audience who knew something about Christianity and either wanted to go deeper or had problems. And Lewis's agenda really was to try and speak to those two quite distinct audiences. 
And I think that's one of the reasons why the book has had this ongoing appeal, because it is not a primer in Christianity for those who are believers and want to go deeper. It's more than that. It's also a way into Christianity if you're an intelligent person who's, in effect, thinking about the meaning of life. And so Lewis there is actually speaking to two very important audiences. And actually, you know, we are now a long way from those broadcast talks in 1941. But both those audiences are still there today. And he uses quite a lot of allegories and picture imagery and sort of popular language. Was that very much an intentional thing from C.S. Lewis? It was. Lewis, I think, probably because he was a literary scholar, was absolutely used to using analogies, illustrations. And, of course, the, the writers who he valued, like G.K. Chesterton, did the same. So, in many ways, Lewis was able to bring some very well-honed um, illustrations, analogies, and also, I think I have to say, a very good speaking and writing style to bring to bear on this topic. So, if you like, Lewis was someone who, in effect, was able to do the job he was asked to do and did it really very well. And where did the name mere Christianity come from? Well, the term mere Christianity had been used by Lewis at one or two points um, around this time. And it's it's not a, a, an original phrase. Lewis picks it up, actually, from a Puritan writer called Richard Baxter. And, and Lewis loved Puritan writers, uh, Baxter in particular, um, and uh, felt that this phrase uh, kind of resonated with what he wanted to do. And for Richard Baxter, who, remember, was writing at the time of um, enormous social and religious discontent in England, when religion became deeply divisive, even though it's different forms of Christianity, Baxter said, look, let's talk about mere Christianity, meaning a consensual form of Christianity that did not kind of way take its stand on secondary issues, but focused on what really mattered. And Lewis liked that. And Lewis said, I'm going to do the same. So mere Christianity basically is Lewis's code word for a consensual form of Christianity that would carry wide acceptance across Christian denominations, and which would not contradict any denomination, but which wouldn't necessarily resonate with everything they wanted to say. So if you like, it's weak on denominational specifics, but it's very strong indeed on the basic core themes of the Christian faith. Mere Christianity is quite a sort of wide ranging topic, as it were. You could be picking from all sorts of topics within Christianity. How do you think Lewis honed down into the specific themes that he's got within the book? Um, Because there is so much that he could have unpacked within mere Christianity. How did he pick what he did to go into the talks, which, which then obviously became the book? Well, I think that's really interesting because, of course, Lewis did not set out to write a book. In fact, actually, he set out simply to give four lectures, four talks, and um, then this expanded. So there's no sense that Lewis was beginning to write a book and then gave a little bit here, a little bit there. He gave some talks and he was asked to give some more talks. And gradually um, he had to decide what the topics of all those talks would be. And so the first set of talks at the BBC was on right and wrong as a clue to the meaning of the universe. And so it's a very it's an introductory if you like, um, way of approaching Christianity. Then he was asked to talk about Christian behavior so, and, and, and things like that. And gradually um, he, he built up the four main components of this book. But the key point to appreciate is that Lewis's intention originally was just to give four freestanding, independent sets of talks about aspects of the Christian faith. 
And one of the problems this means, in fact, there are two problems here. One is that um, there are a lot of things that get left out. And that's simply because Lewis didn't have time to deal with them all. But also, um, it's a little bit bittier point. You, you, you feel that um, we have four self-contained sections, but they don't actually relate to each other terribly well in the final version of the book. Do you think part of the reason that there was such an appetite for these talks that C.S. Lewis was giving was because of the context within which he was writing in the throes of war while people were very much aware of their own mortality? I think that, um, if I put it like this, the wartime conditions made people receptive to thinking about big questions. And they, they clearly find Lewis to be a very interesting person to listen to because the, the, the broadcast talks were very, very successful. That's why I was asked to give three more series. So I think that Lewis, in effect, chimed in with a wartime sense of unease, of searching for meaning, of wanting reassurance in the what seemed to be a sort of incoherent and meaningless world. But what I would say is actually those thoughts have not gone away, that actually many people continue to have anxieties like that. And actually, mere Christianity does speak to those very well. So what we're dealing with, I think, is, is a set of talks that really spoke to a particular situation. But actually, they, they seem to have kept on speaking. And maybe it's because Lewis has found a way of transcending the specific historical location of those talks and talk about themes that actually go much, much deeper than the wartime situation and actually engage directly the human quest for meaning, faith and hope. So would you say then, Alistair, that there is still relevance in mere Christianity, even though we're sort of very much in a post-Christian culture where a lot of people wouldn't even necessarily have a reference point for God? I think that people will see mere Christianity as a gateway. In other words, this is a way to discover what Christianity is and try and make more sense of it. And of course, for thinking Christians, it continues to be a very important resource. So uh, I personally would say that um, I'm sure one day someone will do better than this. But actually, one of the reasons why mere Christianity continues to be so popular is that it has not yet been eclipsed by anything or anyone else. Now, you mentioned at the beginning the impact that mere Christianity has had on your own faith, but there are clearly lots of other people for whom it has been a really influential book. I mean, is there anyone that you can think of or any people or any movements for whom this book has really had a profound impact? Well, I, I could give you lots of case studies. I'll give you one in a moment, if I may. But um, the point I'd make is, uh, as I talk to lots of people about what they found in mere Christianity, which is the research I did when writing a biography of Lewis, to my astonishment, I found that actually they picked up on different things, and what they really liked, <laughs> vary mm -hmm. quite a lot. Maybe that's a key to why mere Christianity is so successful. But let me talk about one example, which I think is very, very clear, and that's Charles Coulson, who was in um, Nixon's White House. He got involved in the Watergate scandal, went to jail, and and was visited by some Christians who got him to read mere Christianity and one read Lewis's description of the man of sin and Coulson said that's me you know in fact Lewis has described this so well if Lewis can describe what's wrong with me he can tell me how to how to sort this out and there are many people who will say as I read that book I felt Lewis knew who I was and was able to help me see what the problem was and also what I could do about it. 
I mean, you mentioned the kind of dual purpose of it being a handbook almost for Christians in terms of helping them with their faith, but also being a really helpful gateway for for non-Christians to think about some of these big questions. Did C.S. Lewis intend for his talks and then consequently the book to be evangelistic or was he writing to a more Christian audience? Because I suppose back then they were slightly more Christian in the sense of it being a bit more of an overtly Christian culture. It was a more overtly Christian culture, but I think Lewis could see that there was a, that that in effect the church was in danger of becoming a subculture, and therefore he had to speak beyond it. And so that's one of the reasons why I think Lewis does not adopt a preachy tone at all. It's much more an engaging tone. It's much more, here's a question somebody might have. You know, it's very much trying to show you are conversant with what's happening outside the church and also that there are answers to questions that people are raising. So if you like, Lewis is very, very approachable because you feel that he is dealing with real questions. He's not kind of way um, cheating you. He he really is engaging questions saying, here's what works for me. does that help you? I think the tone of the book, which is not um, evangelistic, it, it, it's almost like, um, have you thought about this? It, 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 it's, it's almost like a conversation. I think that's one of the reasons why many people find it much easier to read than some of the more aggressively evangelistic books that uh, have come along in more recent years. And I suppose if someone was going to give this book to a friend of theirs who wasn't a Christian as a way of kind of explaining what they believed, is there anything that they would need to warn them about or uh, sort of any groundwork that they would need to do or do you think it's the sort of thing that you could literally just put in their hands and assume that Lewis will provide everything that that person needs to be able to think through some of those questions? I think if you get people to read mere Christianity, you're in effect saying, um, it's a bit like saying, why don't you talk to my friend? You know, it's, it's, it's that kind of thing. What I tend to do is to say, um, you know, bear in mind, this book really dates back to the 1940s. And therefore, actually, there will be points at which it seems a little bit old fashioned. But nevertheless, there is some real wisdom in this text. Just stay with it. And I reckon you'll find it really engaging and perhaps even rather helpful as well. So do you think mere Christianity, although, as you've mentioned just there, it's very very much a book of its time, do you think it will still continue to impact people in the generations to come? I think it will. I think at some point um, somebody is going to say this needs to be updated. And I hope that, I hope that doesn't happen because, in fact, we have to respect Lewis's integrity and keep mere Christianity as it is. But there is nothing to stop others standing on Lewis's shoulders. And Lewis was a literary scholar. He knew that every good writer is, in effect, basing themselves on writers who've gone before them, in effect, and um, picking up on their strengths and recasting them and uh, restating them in new ways. And actually, I would not be at all surprised if well, not so much new versions of mere Christianity, but rather fresh attempts to explain what Christianity is all about will come along. But actually, they can learn a lot from Lewis, and they're certainly not going to displace Lewis. We've kind of seen that already, haven't we? So many apologetics works will draw on various elements of C.S. Lewis, in particular mere Christianity. And I suppose even if you've never uh, picked picked up a C.S. Lewis book, you're very likely to have come across a quote of C.S. Lewis, and most likely it will have been from mere Christianity. 
I think that's right. I mean, I mean, in my own list of quotable quotes from C.S. Lewis, a lot come from mere Christianity. I mean, there are others as well, sure. But you're right. It, it's, it's unusually dense in very good quotations. And I think that um, one of the things I often enjoy doing is, is reading some of these more recent books and saying, I know where you got that from. <laughs> so, uh, I, I don't think Lewis would mind because um, in many ways what he was trying to do was to um, open people's hearts and minds to Christianity. And, and if that's done indirectly through others, well, that's great. And I'm sure this will come up throughout the rest of the series. But do you have one favourite part of the book or a favourite quote or something that you keep coming back to? Or is it, as you said before, every time you come to it, there's kind of something different that jumps out to you? Well, I have to say that that um, very often I'm surprised when I read Mere Christian because I come across something that I'd forgotten about. So I think I need to say that it's a book that merits reading and rereading. But if you're asking me to single out my favorite chapter, it's a chapter on hope, which I think uh, is, is very, very well written and extremely articulate. And maybe we'll talk about that later in the series. But the key thing, I think, is to say that Lewis is someone who you keep reading again, because what I find is with a book like Mere Christianity or Surprised by Joy, which I've read many, many times, every time I read it again, I realize how much I missed last time round. You know, in fact, the, you, 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 the things that pop out, the things that you realize I did not fully notice that or understand that last time round. So Lewis is someone you keep reading again. As you say there, Alistair, we will be dealing with a subject of hope in the final episode of this show. Um, but as we come to the end of this programme, would you just say a little bit more, if, if people are just sort of diving into mere Christianity, they're beginning to get their teeth into it, but they want to know a little bit more about C.S. Lewis's life and perhaps some of the experiences that led him to give these talks, which became mere Christianity, where can people go to find out a little bit more about Lewis's life and his experience? Well, you could obviously read a biography of C.S. Lewis. I wrote one uh, called C.S. Lewis, A Life, which is a very unoriginal title. Uh, <laughs> and there are many others. Um, and I think the, these will help you get a sense of it. And of course, there are lots and lots of blogs and web pages dealing with Lewis. Um, my, my own feeling is I almost suggest you read Mere Christianity first, because I think after you do that, you'll say, I want to know more about this guy. And actually, that will send you to the biographies. And next time you read it, and you will read it again, you'll get a lot more out of it. So put your toe in the water, so to speak, and then uh, come back later and you'll get much more next time round. And is there anything where Lewis himself is talking about his own life and his own experiences? He does, at points, uh, talk about his own experience. But actually, as he talks about this in great detail in Surprise by Joy, I think it's best to say that um, the, the autobiographical elements in Mere Christianity are actually quite understated. Um, really, um, because Lewis was, was going to write um, Surprise by Joy, I think he kept all of the autobiographical stuff for that particular work. Well, Alistair, I can't wait to delve into the rest of this programme to find out more about mere Christianity and some of the specific themes that we will unpack along the way. But thank you so much for joining us today. It's been great fun. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the C.S. Lewis podcast with Professor Alistair McGrath, brought to you by Premier. I'm Ruth Jackson, and over this second series, Alistair and I will be looking at some of the key themes and ideas in Lewis's seminal book, Mere Christianity. You can find out more about this series, as well as C.S. Lewis and Professor Alistair McGrath, by heading to cslewispodcast.com. 
If you enjoy this podcast, please don't forget to like, rate and subscribe on whatever podcast platform you use. Next week, we'll be looking at the law of human nature in mere Christianity.